Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. As always, I'm your host, Zach Darnell. This episode, I had the opportunity to reconnect with a former colleague of mine, Don Lively. Don has spent a large part of her career in the HR space and is now the CEO of a company called Fullstack PEO here in Indy. You'll hear more about Fullstack and Don's perspective in the episode, but it was really, really great to kind of get her thoughts on the challenges that employees are facing today, how to best care for them, and how companies are responding to the current labor market. My co-host for today is also a Don, Don Bunting. I know this could get a tad confusing. We'll do our best. Don Bunting has been the director of HR here at SEP for a little over a year, and I really appreciate her spending time with us to share her thoughts and experiences along with Don Lively. So I hope you enjoy and find value in my conversation with Don and Don. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Behind the Product, a podcast by SEP where we believe it takes more than a great idea to make a great product. We've been around for over 30 years, building software that matters more. And we've set out to explore the people, practices, and philosophies to try and capture what's behind great software products. So join us on this journey of conversation with the folks that bring ideas to life. I was talking to a colleague, I don't know, maybe a couple of months ago, and I was raising the point around, you know, hiring is really difficult. Employee, like emotional support and caretaking seems to be different. And their comment was like, well, that's always true. And I was like, well, I don't know that that's the case. While, yes, taking care of our employees is always true. Hiring can be challenging is always true. We've got this very unique wrapper of circumstances that I can't remember hearing about or reading about in history that has largely never happened before, at least in our lives, right? That exacerbates all of those things and makes them even more challenging than they ever have been. I know that's not what we're talking about, but I I think that that's radically true, right? (laughs) I was going to say, we absolutely can. That's true. That is true. I think the last two years has just amplified everything, whether it's mental health awareness, caring for parents, caring for children in this crisis situation, trying to get their education and keep that going. I think everything has just been tweaked up a notch and how employers are responding to that or choosing not to respond to that is having a huge impact on their environment. That's a really interesting point. So we just had, what do we call an elder care workshop? We had some folks come in to talk about that. My mom lives with us. She has for the last four years. And my stepdad passed away two years ago, and he was with us up until that point. And she's going to stay with us for a long time. I had never thought about, quote unquote, taking care of my mom. She's very independent. She's a snowbird. She's got a place in Florida. She goes half the year. She just stays with us when she's here. She's got her own little apartment. But it adds a layer of thought. And I wouldn't say she doesn't stress me out by any stretch of the imagination, but it's an additive in our house and in our day-to-day dynamic that I never really thought about. Well, it's the sandwich generation is Uh, what they used to call it. Really? Yeah. If you're part of the sandwich generation, you're caring for people that are older than you while you still have children at home, then it's, you're stuck in the middle and you're having to deal with both things. So at the same time, in past generations, you could rely upon that generation to help you take care of your children and help step Mm -hmm. in and do that. I have the opposite situation that you do because I'm very fortunate. My parents had me young and got married young. Mm -hmm. So they're in their mid-60s, retired during COVID. So now they're helping us out. And my mom comes over the summer and does grandma school 
with the kids and hangs with them so I can still work full time at home. We get them in summer programs and have them do art camp and different things here and there. But my parents are still a huge support and a huge asset to have. Whereas what's happening a lot of times, especially if people got sick during COVID, they're having long COVID symptoms, they're having all this type of stuff, and they need our generation to help take care of them. It's shifted that entire dynamic. How have you seen that show up with some folks that you're talking to, bringing on board, hiring employees that have been with you for a while, taking care of them? Like, What have you seen maybe some of the specific things that have manifested with this heightening Oh, wow. So a couple of things come to mind. The first one is, it goes into our whole topic that we're wanting to get to overall about the boomerang generation or boomerang situation, boomerang hiring and all that. But my one client the other day said, what do I need to do as far as a compensation increase for my employees for Mm -hmm. next year? Mm -hmm. Because normally I would do two to 5%. Because I've always been able to afford my people the opportunity. We're a small environment. I don't care when you get your work done, just get your work done in the day. But now because of COVID and so many people working from home, I've lost that competitive advantage. So what do I need to do about my compensation? Do I need to go higher on comp to try to help attract and retain? Because I used to be able to think it was equivalent of $10,000 extra a year in bonus. And I don't know how that person came to that number, but you know, I had in my mind that it was an additional earnings stream for this person to be able to work when they want, where they want. We don't care. We're super flexible. But now everybody's got this. Workplaces are having to do this. They don't have a choice. My workplace, yes, I know I have the luxury of being the CEO, so I can kind of sure. do what I want in a way. Sure, sure. But in that regard, I have to get my kids off the bus every day. Yeah and be just on my phone doing calls or whatever until they get off the bus from 2.45 to 3. Mm-hmm. You know, when we set ourselves up as a company at Full Stack, we said we're going to do core working hours at 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern. Everyone needs to be accessible then. But however you decide to get your work done in the day is how you're going to do your work day. And no two days need to be the exact same. The managers don't need to have a schedule for the week from anybody of how they're going to do it. And if you need to run to the grocery store at nine o'clock in the morning to pick something up, we don't need to know about that because we can call your cell phone if we need you. That affords our team the ability to go with mom to the orthopedic appointment she has or take the kids to the dentist at 3.30 or whatever that case may be. A lot of environments are seeing that they're having to make shifts toward that now because of everything that's going on of caring for kids, caring for parents, caring for everyone around them. That is like, even though I'm I'm living in that situation, we're office first, but I would say that we're incredibly flexible. So we're, you know, SCP, we're going a little bit against the typical tech grain, but I feel like we treat our employees in a way that is, you got stuff going, go take care of what you have going on. Like we trust you to be an adult and to be a great teammate. That's really the only requirement for us. But even hearing that and knowing the environment that we're in, that almost feels overwhelming. Just like right now in this moment, we're having this conversation, like, oh, how does somebody manage all of that? And then how do we care well for these folks? Like, oh my goodness. Well, and then also, you know, 50% of marriages end in divorce. So how many of these single moms. colleagues are single moms, single yeah, dads, single parents. Yeah, trying yeah. to take care of your kids 50% of the time, mm-hmm. get them where they need to be, you know, all of this type of stuff. We just found out today that my special needs daughter needs to attend a different school this fall. Well, both schools, both my daughters will be in sixth grade, have the exact same start time. So one of them is going to have to ride a bus so we can take the other one or they're both going to have to ride the bus 
And the school system came back and said, well, because she's being bused to an alternative school for her, her pickup time in the morning, 6.05 a.m. And we said, there's no way. She'll be on the bus for what, an hour and a half? Oh, my. So between, and I'm a divorced parent, and the kids are with me half the time. They're with their dad half the time. And I just told him, I said, we'll figure it out. If that means that our you know, younger daughter needs to get dropped off at my house and I take her to school every morning when you take our older daughter to school, we'll do that. If it means I need to pick them up or whatever, we'll do that. We just have to be that flexible. And I don't think the work environments that are unwilling to adapt to that are going to find the best employees. You just hit on something that I think is really important, flexibility. So many organizations, just like people, individuals need to be more flexible. So you've talked about, you've hit on comp, you've hit on, I'll say flexible working hours, maybe is a good way to describe that. What are maybe some other things that you've seen as a PEO, you work with a lot of different companies. What are some other things that you've seen some of your clients, maybe the industry shifting towards finding that flexibility? Part of it is the remote workspace. We've seen that quite a bit. The biggest thing for us is as a PEO, we were in approximately 20 states in 2019. Mm -hmm. When COVID hit, all of a sudden, our tech-related clients said, I'm going to hire the best software developer. And by the way, she lives in Colorado. I'm going to hire the best marketing person. And by the way, she lives in Virginia. Mm -hmm. I'm going to hire salespeople in Texas and in Florida and in Arizona. And so we now are in 48 states Wow. And Puerto Rico as of June 1st and D.C. And so we had to completely invest in, it's not quite infrastructure, but for the nature of our business, it really is getting licensed and registrations and all of these types of stuff for all of these states because the tech talent pool, they're going to hire from wherever they can find the talent now. So you 150% roughly grew in two years over COVID. Yes. You went from 20 to almost 50 as far as the states. As far yes. as the states go. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I would imagine that there's tax implications, benefits. Absolutely. Absolutely. All, all the things that go along with that, that it doesn't necessarily care where your company is is headquartered. It's more where the employee is from based. From a taxation standpoint. Okay. And from where we have to be registered. So Interesting. All of those intricate pieces and moving parts, you know, we're lucky that we decided to go ahead and be nimble and do that because... You never want to grow your business during a pandemic. You never want to have any horrible situation <laughs> happen and be like, okay, here we go, let's grow. Sure. But that's what happened with us. Wow. And so we were able when a 125-person group came along based in Wisconsin with employees in 24 states and said, we would like to consider you guys, we were ready. What are the, maybe the challenges for different companies? Like the advantages are pretty clear. You got a much larger talent pool. You can grab folks from just about anywhere. What are some of the downsides of doing that that you've seen or talked to some of your clients about? Culture. It's been the hardest thing of remote first culture. How do you do that? You don't have the water cooler talk. You Mm. don't have, let's bring in lunch for everybody on Friday. You don't have those in-person opportunities for camaraderie. Mm. And we're living it ourselves because Fullstack is a remote first workplace. When we started it, we rent a tiny space that we can then have the ability for somebody to go on site and we can use conference rooms and we can get together once a quarter is what we do. That's how we come at it. But we actually just hired our first person in Michigan. She started last Monday. And so quarterly, I'm leaving it open to her. If she wants to come down, awesome. Otherwise, we'll remote her in. We'll figure out a way to do it. But after we do those meetings once a quarter, we usually do some type of group activity or at least go next door and have a beer or, or 
whatever the case may be. So when you're hiring like crazy because you've just gotten your seed funding and you're hiring in 20 different states, how do you create an intentional culture to keep everyone sticky and want to have everyone be involved and be there? That's a really good point. So Don Bunting, on the flip side of that, we're office first. We were also hiring a bunch. What have you seen some of the, I don't want to say pushback, but maybe some of the uh, challenges with getting folks to kind of adopt the way that we typically work, which is office first? So the younger people, it's been very interesting and surprising, actually, because they've talked to so many companies that are remote and they're like, wait, you're an in-office organization. I think I like that. So I've loved that the students coming straight out of school really love that idea. The people that have been home working for a while now remote have had a harder time getting used to being back in the office. The very, very introverted individuals who had gotten used to being around a team when they were in the office went home and got used to, again, being able to just be by themselves. So it's been very hard and there's been a lot of social anxiety. So there have been people in my office asking for support and resources that no one's ever asked for before. So I'm learning about all kinds of new things just to make sure that our people feel good coming back into the office and feel supported. We've lost some of those people because they just can't get themselves to be back in person and having all of these people around them. And they're probably more healthy being at home. That's an interesting point. I feel like when I read some articles about remote first hybrid in office, in office sometimes gets a really bad rep. And there are a lot of, I'll say maybe loud minority, I have no idea, but a lot of articles that I seem to read that are very much like remote is the way that we're going. And that's just the swing that we need to make as a society. I don't know that either one is wrong. It's just what suits you best as an individual. And as an individual that works at SEP, if somebody is better off in a healthier state emotionally and for their own well-being, for their family situation, whatever it might be, they want to be remote, that's awesome. Go do that. And I think that um, hopefully over time, we start to lose some of the stigma that one is better than the other culturally. It's just what's best for you as an individual. And there's nothing wrong with that. And it's going to change depending on where you are in life. Yeah, yeah. Because the majority of the people that I'm working with who absolutely love going into an office and being in person are those who have small children at home. Where I'm raising my hand right now. (laughs) And they're like, like, oh, thank God I can go somewhere, get away and focus on my work. Our primary salesperson, that's his whole thing is he's Mm -hmm. like, he's in there every day. And so, you know, the space that we used to call Dawn's space is now the full stack space because (laughs) he needs to be in there doing that. I morphed a little bit because I am a pretty strong extrovert. When it all started, I was working in a 1,700 square foot condo at the dining room table in one open room, trying to do my work with both of my daughters at home, trying to do their remote learning. I would have to take meetings in my bedroom. I would have to, you know, go wherever I could go. And at that point, we were all still so scared to be around each other that, you know, my mom wasn't helping because she was still, you know, working part-time and wasn't coming around and trying to keep everybody safe and isolated. Well, then we moved. We actually were those crazy people that moved during COVID. Got a much bigger house. I have a dedicated working space with a desk. And each one of my children now has a desk in their room. So if when we would revert back during the different periods of COVID, everybody had their own space. I loved being at home. It really changed me in regard to that because 
being able to switch out a load of laundry or being able to take a 20-minute walk just from a mental, emotional balance, it seemed so much better. And so last week was my first week that I had four different days with meetings, appointments, networking, sales, podcasts, you know, different things going on. Last week was my first week really being reemerged. Like out of your house, like in person. Yes. And I was exhausted. I bet. By Friday. I was absolutely wiped. And so it's just an interesting dynamic that we've all gone through it. And I don't think we've ever seen anything like this in a workplace. You're right. It is just a very unique time. And we might be going into another, you know, interesting time economically and globally. So who knows what the future will hold? It seems like, though, the silver lining of all of this, there's options and availability and support for just about everybody. I hope that exists. I think everybody strives for that. None of us are perfect. But hopefully as we move forward, we're a little bit more equipped because we just had the last couple of years of high uncertainty and unique circumstances that allowed folks to kind of learn more about themselves and what they need to be the best version of themselves. Hopefully as we move forward, that'll stay true. Yes. Hopefully we won't forget the lessons we've learned. Yes. (laughs) So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about maybe hiring and recruiting specifically. I was recently chatting with somebody that works for kind of like a custom manufacturing and process logistics firm. And I was just asking them, how is hiring? How is recruiting going from an engineering perspective, right? That everybody's feeling the pains there. How is that going for you? Are you finding anything that's working really well? And they talked about focusing their recruiting efforts on boomerang employees, folks that had recently or in years past left their firm. And they were using that as a kind of a recruiting campaign to bring them back. And I thought that was a really interesting focus that has never dawned on me. I am a boomerang employee in the past. I had left a company for a little while and went back and took a very different role at that company. And that was a good experience for me. But I never thought about it being a focus. Is this something you've been hearing about at all? I have just because with the talent pool and everyone struggling so much, you kind of want to tend to go with what you know. And especially if people were A players or B plus players, depending on how you categorize them, you know, that would be a great resource to go back to. My concern is, why did they leave to begin with? I mean, the old adage of you don't leave a company, you leave your supervisor. What is that dynamic going to be? To whom are they going to report? Is it the same person? How has the culture shifted? How long have they been gone? Are their buddies still there or not? That was my biggest thing when yeah. we started talking about this topic. So I was like, oh, it makes me have an initial kind of HR cringe reaction of like, oh, well, yeah. if they left already and it wasn't a great place for them to begin with, what's going to make them come back and be a long-term mm-hmm. employee again? But the expected longevity of employees now in a role compared to what it used to be even five years ago is so much shorter that perhaps it's not necessarily the worst thing. Like maybe there's been enough churn in the organization since they've left that whatever dynamics caused them to leave in the first place hopefully don't exist as much. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. You know, if I actually, if I think back, so this was maybe 10 years ago, I'm thinking, give or take, to when I was this person, there was some old baggage that I had definitely in my backpack that I either, and this is so long ago, either work through more than likely held on to and never addressed and ignored, you know, emotional health. Um, (laughs) I'm better now, the older I've gotten, hopefully the smarter I've gotten about uh, addressing things. But I know that some of that existed because I went to a different role, but working with a lot of the same people, 
And I think they were mostly positive relationships, but we were all indifferent. Like the organization had completely turned over. There was a very different set of roles and set of leadership folks that were a part of the organization at that time. But I was working with a lot of the same people. And those, I would say, more competitive dynamics were definitely there. However, my learning curve for stepping into a new role in an environment that I was familiar with was so much faster. And I think that was part of the reason why they agreed to hire me back. I was only gone for maybe a year. Roughly, it wasn't a long, long time. I got to like jump right back into an environment that I was already, for the most part, a subject matter expert on. So I didn't have that same learning curve that a lot of people had. So I can imagine that's a huge advantage for folks. Oh, absolutely. Ramp up time and investment and training costs and, you know, all of those types of things have to be considered. And that is a true advantage to having a boomerang employee come back to you. We at Full Stack are getting a little bit of guff from some people in our industry because we actually, you know, started up our business about five years ago and we're not able to hire quickly because we were so small yeah. and, you know, a big startup and going <laughs> from there. And it was for the longest time myself, our VP of business development and our part-time operations person. And then we started growing. What do you do when you start growing and you want to, you want to reach out to people you've worked with before who you trust, who perhaps if you're lucky enough, they know the industry. Mm-hmm. And so the majority of my team are people I have actually worked with before. In different capacities over, yeah. In different capacities yeah, yeah. over time, over the last 15 years. Even the person that we hired Monday that's from Michigan, we worked together from 2005 to 2008. We were friends on Facebook and we were growing. Hey, we have an open position. And sure enough, she's like, I wasn't even looking, but I would absolutely love to work with you guys. You guys have a dream team you've put together and it's all people we've loved to work with. That's really cool. So you can leverage your own personal network in that same regard. It's almost like a tangential boomerang. Yes, it really (laughs) is. It really is. And it's been great because I think the biggest thing we've picked up with everyone is inherent trust. That is not a barrier that you have to work on. It's almost there's already a little bit there day one is trust. I didn't think about that. That part has been huge for us. And we actually went through a very, very difficult time last year. Our director of operations fell ill in October and ultimately passed away at the beginning of December. We held the position for her because it seemed as though she was going to recover. But unfortunately, things took another turn. So then trying to backfill her role, I ended up getting a hold of someone who I worked with years ago and said, hey, what do you think? Do you, you know, we've got this opportunity here. Things aren't perfect because we had the role open for eight weeks and you know, all of that. But he agreed to come on board. And like I said, it's just been pivotal to us because we know each other. And I did not have to start over with my new director at Square One to build trust, have knowledge in the industry, have knowledge of the HRIS that we use, our platform. All of that basic stuff was there. The one challenge I could see potentially is like a new dynamic in the relationship. You might have been a peer with folks in the past. Now you're the boss. How has that been? It's been interesting. I mean, where I was before, I started out first and foremost as an HR practitioner. That was my background and my education and all of that. I kind of self-deprecatingly joke that I stuck around for a really long time and was given more and more responsibility and kind of grew to a team leader, supervisor, manager, co-director type of level in my 11 and a half years there. So a lot of them saw me leading the internal HR initiatives related to culture anyway, and knew that that was something that they could get behind and really enjoy. 
So I don't have to, I guess as the CEO, I am the grand supervisor of everybody, but I've always been a person that gives people a lot of autonomy and a lot of freedom and let them come to me when they have issues. And I'm a very collaborative style of management. And so I think that they all know that coming in. And so they're like, okay, this is going to be not a dictatorial environment, not an aggressive environment. We can come in, we can be who we are, we can be supportive of each other. And again, I think that social media has played such a huge role in all of this, whether it's professionally keeping in touch with somebody on LinkedIn, sending them a message, Facebook friends with people, see your kids grow up. I mean, when you said your sons are seven and five, we haven't seen each other in years. I still think of you as a new dad. Because when you stop working with somebody, the kids basically freeze in age. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) And then you run into them again and you're like, oh my gosh. But if you're friends on Facebook with somebody, you see them every day and you still have that connection. That's a really good point. I don't do a lot of Facebook or Instagram. I'm a terrible social media person, but I do a lot of LinkedIn. And it does help to kind of just see a little bits of snapshots of people's lives, things that they're working on to keep some of those connections alive. Don Bunting, because we got to remind her, we got two Dons here. We've got, I think, four or five Boomerang employees at SCP right now-ish at different levels. How have you seen some of those dynamics for us? Advantages, disadvantages, challenges. One of the things that I have to imagine, like compensation is already a really big topic in our market. But a Boomerang employee, they had X expectation. They went out into the market. Now they're coming back. That's got to be an even, like, it's almost a harder conversation, I would imagine, for folks coming back. I think you have to be much more deliberate in the conversations that you have with those people when they want to come back, because maybe it was just they thought the grass was going to be greener. Mm -hmm. But what was it that really bothered you that made you leave in the first place? Because probably that hasn't changed. It's kind of like a relationship. You leave that relationship because something was really driving you crazy and you go back and nothing changed. But the people that have come back have come back for really good reasons, and they're so excited to be here. They're already used to our organization. Like you said, the ramp-up time is significantly less. So they're contributing not only to their jobs, but they're contributing to other areas of the company, too. It's very exciting to see, and the new people really seem to be drawn to those people, and I think it's because they are happy to be here. Oh, that's fascinating because they went, tried something different potentially and realized, you know what, I actually would prefer or their stage of life maybe has changed. And there's almost like this uh, renewed and uh, stronger appreciation for the company that you're part of. You know, I don't personally like the idea of like work family, but I think of like work community, you know, your family's your family, your work community is different, but that can still be very tight knit and you can still care deeply about people and be human and all of those things. And I didn't really think about that. I love that idea that they have almost like a, I don't want to say stronger connection, but it's almost like a more palatable fervor for where you are. Sure. I love that. And they come back with more confidence. And probably broader perspectives. Absolutely. You worked at another company, you get to bring the things that somebody else has taught you to the organization. Interesting. So what do you think about companies focusing on this? Kind of a question to both of you. Like, if they're going to base their hiring strategy on boomerang employees, not everybody can really do that. If you're a five year old organization, there's probably not that many people from full staff. We've had one person that that left for the grass being greener, (laughs) a very 
wonderful employee. Loved having her for the nine months that we had her, but a kind of just entered the workforce, been in there a couple of years, got offered her dream job, kind of the, okay, we've got to support you in this, wish you the best, because we have the opportunity with our growth to get people somewhere, but it wasn't going to be right then because there's only so many seats on the bus at this point with our growth. So absolutely in two, three years, she goes, gets more experience, stays in touch with us. We'd love to have her back. Actually, what we did was when we filled the role about a year ago, we were between two solid candidates. And so when she decided to leave and it was a new creation of the role, we went back to the other candidate because we were so torn between the two candidates as to who to hire. And so I reached out to the other person and I said, hey, do you by chance have any interest in talking to us at this point? Because we'd absolutely love to talk to you. And she's ultimately who we hired for the role and she's killing it a month and a half in. There's another nugget. Go back to folks that maybe you had a neck and neck decision point and there's another potential hiring point. Nurture those relationships. Yeah. Keep in touch with them. Go to lunch occasionally. You know, do what you can to, if you truly were torn between who to hire, and it's worked out really well for us so far. So that's been great. Okay. So as we wrap up, I want to see if both of you have one nugget for anybody listening that's looking to hire somebody, whether it's a boomerang employee or somebody they've never talked to. What do you see as maybe either a new or heightened data point or decision point for somebody that's deciding to go work for a new company? The biggest thing for me is making sure that you are cognizant and deliberate on your culture, your values, your mission, your vision, and that you're going to take the time to make sure every single employee in your organization understands how they fit into that. Oh, wow. So being very purposeful and eloquent in explaining those things. Some of that can be very fuzzy, but really honing that message. How that 26-year-old who has been out of college for four years, you're going to bring them in, they're going to be a solid contributor to your environment, but they're not going to be probably in a supervisory role quite yet. Right. How do they fit in? Because if they can't see how they fit in and they can't see how they're part of the picture, whether you're remote, whether you're in person, whether you're hybrid... They're not going to form a connection. Yeah. That's an old HR. That's that's HR 102 stuff. But I think it's more important now than ever. Yeah, because there are so many companies that are either remote first or office first or hybrid. Like take your pick of tech companies that are doing A, B, or C, depending on what you're looking for. Everybody's offering competitive compensation. Everybody has decent uh, benefits. Flexibility. Those aren't differentiators they anymore. They aren't anymore. But purpose And I'll say organizational positioning, maybe. Potentially personal and professional development, because how am I going to be able to develop as a professional if Uh, I don't understand how I fit in this picture? It's so interesting. In this heightened world, we're going back to the basics that we've almost forgotten. Ah, that's interesting. The whole art of interviewing, you forget a lot of things when you're in the heat of the moment in an Mm -hmm. interview. And so one of the things that I always remind interviewers and the interviewees is, we're interviewing each other. Please don't forget that. Why are you asking these questions? Because we want the candidate to get to know who we really are. Mm -hmm. It's just as important that that candidate wants to be with us as we want them to be on board. Mm -hmm. And so I hate for that to get lost. I think that is the most important thing because sometimes a candidate gets so sucked in, but then they get here and 
it's nothing like what they thought. Or we got so sucked in by the candidate. And by the time the person gets here, it's not at all who we thought it was going to be. And it's because of the questions we were asking and the environment that we were creating during the process. It's interesting. We've got something as part of our interview process that I don't know if this is standard or if this is an SAP thing, but I I love it. So as part of someone's interview process, you have a like unbiased conversation with somebody that has been here for a little while. I don't know what we call it, whatever. You get to spend an hour with somebody where that person within SAP, you can ask them whatever you want and they are not allowed to provide input on the candidate to the hiring team. It's completely unbiased. It's all about what do you want to know that you don't feel comfortable asking in a formal interview environment to try to help with some of that? Because there could be fear. Oh, if I ask about, I've got to leave at 445 every day to go pick up my kid from daycare because it's 45 minutes away from the office. I don't want to make it seem like I'm not a team player. And it's like, who do I ask that to? And how is that handled really with removing some of that potential fear that that could be perceived as a negative. It's like a fit interview. Yeah, it is. yeah, yes. It is. But also a comfort. So we had a candidate who she said, I want to talk to another female who also had a non-traditional degree and, mm. and moved into engineering. Oh, nice. And she was most interested in finding out about the professional development and how are we going to make sure that she was going to be able to successfully grow in her role. And she felt like she would get the best information from someone who was also in that same position. That makes a lot of sense. That's great. Well, Don and Don, I appreciate you both. This has been informative and unexpectedly awesome. Like I expected it to be awesome, but we definitely talked about stuff that I was not thinking about. And I love it. I love when the serendipity turns out to be a fun conversation. So thank you very much. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you. 